Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin podcast. My name is Matt Bruskin. I'm the deputy director here at Citizen Action. And welcome to another week from Wisconsin. The primary is over and we're here to review it and look forward. And that means Jorna Taylor is here. Jorna is a nonprofit consultant from Wisconsin. Jorna. Hello, Battleground Wisconsin. It's me. It's Jorna. And as always, Robert Craig, executive director here at Citizen Action. Robert. Good morning, everyone. So, as I mentioned, we will talk about the primary. We will look forward to the general. Um, we're also going to talk about the voter ID stay. We're going to talk a little bit about poll workers and why they're so important and encourage you to become one. And, of course, we're going to talk about Donald Trump and his very boring week. Nothing really happened with Donald, so we'll put him last. But Jorna, <laughs> it's, it's even hard to move forward uh, yeah, saying something is. like that. Um, but we got to talk about our primary here. Wisconsin has... a uh, August primary, which um, turn out uneven, not, not you'd bad. say, around the state. Not bad, and certainly in, it was pretty decent in areas where you had contested elections. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that, Jorna. What, uh, what is your biggest takeaway, or you think the most important race or thing you want to talk about uh, from the primary? Well, I think that the biggest thing for me was the Chisholm-Swanigan-Milwaukee County uh, District Attorney race because uh, John Chisholm came away with 65% of the vote, a citizen action-endorsed candidate, and certainly um, a gentleman who is doing really great work around the city. Uh, but out of that, really, what was striking was the right-wing um, folks, uh, Craig Peterson and Eric O'Keefe, you know, purportedly spent up to $400,000 on Verona Swanigan's behalf to defeat John Chisholm. And, well, they came away with 35% of the vote. So it makes me wonder, is their uh, power uh, waning a little bit here in Milwaukee? It, it makes me happy inside. And, and the reason this race, and we've talked about this, was is important statewide is because for folks who don't know, Chisholm is one of the leads in uh, going after the John Doe situation and prosecuting and has done that at great personal risk in terms of them coming after him personally, but also now politically, this whole effort, as Jorna said, basically half a million dollar campaign uh, uh, launched against him. Robert, your thoughts on the primary? Well, just on, on Swanigan versus Chisholm, I think an axiom politics is, is that independent expenditures are very effective when you have a competitive campaign between two strong candidates and you can flip it in the direction of one or the other, but you can't really use them to elect a non-candidate. And that was sort of the situation here. She was unqualified and unknown and got a lot of very bad press, and so all the TV in the world wasn't going to change things. Jorna, I need to get your thoughts oh, on gosh. your boyfriend and what happened to him oh, against Paul Ryan. What went on? Uh, You're not going to get that motorcycle ride into the sunset, huh? The Truth Resurrection and Paul Nalen. Oh, <laughs> I'm bummed. I'm not going to lie. The uh, the tattooed wonder from the first district got a butt kicking by Mr. Ryan. He got like 16% of the vote. Yeah, not even close. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure if it was the Trump endorsement, wait, take back endorsement, the Sarah Palin endorsement endorsement or just the general amount of crazy that came out of his mouth that really did him in but I gotta be honest I'm bummed yeah he like not only doubled down on the Muslim proposal but actually suggested we just we should we ought to look at throwing every Muslim sure, out right Which sure and he got no one to arm wrestle him Ugh, so fail that that didn't go so well I don't know Robert yeah, <laughs> you, you, if you have any comments on that race or want to talk about some of the other races uh, nothing on that. Obviously, <laughs> running Aww. to the right of Paul Ryan is very it's hard. Not <laughs> There's not much space there. And so they, he fell off his bike trying to do that. 
Uh, I think my big takeaway is is that um, August primaries are a really stupid idea. Suck. <laughs> they suck. And that a very small number of voters just decided uh, who who key state representatives and state senators are. And I think that that is very disappointing. Um, disappointed that we uh, lost Mandela Barnes, but I think he'll be he'll he's young. He'll be back. Um, and so when and there are other candidates like Edgar Lynn that uh, that that ran very strong races, for example. Uh and yeah, it and so you didn't really have any kind of surge. You didn't. You can't say in this, oh, progressives are taking over the Democratic Party, or they're not taking over the Democratic Party. It was all very race by race, and it was even though some of these races were higher turnout than expected, that's still abysmally low turnout, and therefore very. You know, you got to wonder about the, uh, quite frankly, the legitimacy of, of of some of our representatives. Not it's not their fault, but given how few people in their districts actually uh, put them in office. Yeah, Jorna? Well, and just to follow up on some of the Milwaukee races that Robert was talking about, very clearly it was race by race. Look, you know. And Latanya Johnson. And I was going to say, Latanya, that. that was great. Um, you know, unfortunately, from my perspective, we have some, we, we are furthering school choice um, legislators in Milwaukee, and, and that's unfortunate. And I'm, I'm really saddened about Mandela not taking that state Senate race. Um, but, you know, and when you're talking about low voter turnout in the Joe Costa Zamariba primary, there were barely a thousand voters total. I mean, thankfully, um, Representative Zamariba came through that one. But there are a thousand wise voters, but nonetheless. Yeah, you know, it's just really the second. Tuesday in August is just a sucky time for a primary. Yeah, it was tough that first Tuesday after Labor Day and then the sprint to the general, but people are on vacation. You know, I'm not even as tuned in, and I do this for a living. We got to think about going to spring. I mean, the reason yeah. they moved off September was the uh, the overseas ballots. Well, I don't think the having right. August was the right solution. I, I, I mean, they moved off September also because it was such a short time between that and the general election and wanting to have a little bit more time in between elections, I think, was also part of it. But I agree, Robert. Your point, August is, is a terrible, terrible time, especially early August. We're talking about one of the the highest vacation periods, and people are just completely tuned out. Um, I want to I wanna mention um, one other race in Milwaukee, and then I want to talk about another assembly race outstate. Um, I do think uh, Milwaukee was disappointing as, as far as progressives. Jorna, you mentioned um, choice, right, and, and vouchers. The other really important and the biggest loss, you could argue, was the assembly seat where Jason Fields will now be in that seat, and he has been a longtime supporter of, of, of vouchers. So and violating my axiom, since there is an exception to every rule that proves the rule, allegedly, uh, apparently Mr. Fields did very, nothing, very little to campaign, and just outside money came in, and it still pushed him through. So he obviously had a lot of name recognition. This was his former right. seat, and so uh, when he jumped back in, that made it a very in many ways, a very difficult race for uh, Daryl Gibson. But that is a, that's a big loss, and um, we just have to own that as progressives. It's very disappointing. But um, we move forward, and congratulations to everyone who did run. And we want to mention that there were six Citizen Action Organizing Cooperative members who ran in the primary and state legislative and uh, congressional races, and we want to we wanna congratulate them. I also, before we move on, I do want to mention um, the... 47th race and the blow up that occurred around that race that was um, north of Madison 
And this was a race that um, the incumbent had stepped out very early when uh, Jimmy Anderson had jumped into the race. But this race got a lot of attention late for very nasty ads being run. Um, and uh, Jimmy Anderson did get through that election. Um, I don't know if anyone had any other thoughts on that race or anything or if, how, how close people track that. Since we believe that the future of the middle class is dependent on a, a strong union movement, rarely say this, but a union that is not in the mainstream of unions that actually endorsed Walker and supported him put out completely false ads uh, against a, uh, a person who didn't sign the recall petitions, the person who won because he is disabled, has a person with a disability and couldn't actually sign it. But of course, yeah. the ad didn't explain that. So that was a that was a low in the primaries. On a high, we should also mention David Crawley going into the yeah, assembly. I absolutely. think people statewide will like him a lot if mm -hmm. who don't know him well, who aren't in the Milwaukee area. So let's look forward. Now that the primaries are over, um, I want to talk a little bit and get your thoughts on the 8th Congressional. Tom Nelson did not have a primary, and we now know that Mike Gallagher will be the Republican. Yes, sir. Jor Jorna, tell me more about Mike Gallagher. Well, <laughs> he's a lunatic. Um, I mean, they all were in that primary. So uh, I was actually, I mean, I know that everybody thought that Mike Gallagher was going to win, but I actually thought the Lassay name, Frank Lassay's last name, would carry a little bit more, even though he has shown to be the most unhinged Lassay ever. Yeah, what a demolition. <laughs> it was, it I was, was that, That's it. I was going to say, I was surprised at the complete yeah. demolition of Lassay, and that name should have ought to have done better. Yeah, yeah, so, you know, Gallagher, Marine, he's very formal. He's very, you know full of rhetoric and right-wing talking points and taking it to Washington and service and blah, blah. Jorna, to put a... Cutting the taxes of rich people. All no. patriotic Americans want that, right? <laughs> Let's be clear. Gallagher, actually, I was watching a video. He talked about, like, that we need a Marine to come into hostile territory that is yes. Washington, D.C. Yes. And it's like... Dude, Dude, this is our democracy. Vote. We don't need the Marines to take over Washington, D.C., right? Like, I mean, I don't it's know. It's already that, occupied we'll territory. We'll see how that rhetoric well, plays. Unless he wants to argue a Trump presence, you <laughs> might call for that. But. Right. Um, but let's talk about let's Tom talk Nelson. about Thomas and, and the issues. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, my parents live up in the 8th, so I care a lot about the 8th. I mean, I care about all of Wisconsin, of course, but mm -hmm. I have a keen interest in the 8th. And, you know, Tom Nelson, um, Outagamie County executive from Appleton, really good guy, has been, um, if I get one more fundraising email from him, <laughs> but, uh, you know, he's been out there and he's really bright and sharp and well qualified. And from everything I can tell, he's working really hard. So I think that that could be a take back for us and I'm really excited about the opportunity. Robert, want to get your thoughts. Uh, Nelson has opened up uh, immediately by going after Gallagher on trade, which we think is a brilliant idea and ought to do it. Um, what do you what I mean, I don't, I don't know if you had a chance to see his initial I, I comments did. or not, I think but it's a very yeah. good idea. I didn't see any any effective response from Mr. Gallagher. So He kind of changed the topic. Yes. <laughs> now, to talk about the need to 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 give uh, tax benefits to, to rich people, uh, which, of course, has always led to prosperity in America, not. Uh, so I think it's very important to talk about what is the smoking gun of the rigged economy. And even Donald Trump is allegedly on our side, at least rhetorically, if not in where he makes Trump, Donald Trump goods. I didn't, who knew you could get a Donald Trump coffee table made in Turkey, but we're learning all sorts of things. Do you have one, Robert? I do not, but, you know, I could, maybe I should be thinking about that. I don't know. Do you think the tr are the Trump items on discount these days, or we'll have to talk about that? So or are they, sure, will be in November. Yeah. So for our listeners who may not 
be fully aware, the 8th Congressional District is essentially Appleton up through Green Bay and then runs fully north. So it, it goes all the way up to the Michigan border, includes Door County, and this would be the eastern part up north, maybe, you know, Shano further north. Marinette. Yeah, once you, you know, and then we'll abut on the west with the... Um, the Duffy District. So it's it's a big district, covers a lot of area, uh, but most of the voters are in um, both Brown and Outagamy County. So they're very critical areas. Um, we are going to continue to watch that race. We'll talk more about that. Uh, and maybe we'll even get Tom to come on the podcast later this fall and, and talk a little bit more about that race. Um, obviously, Russ Feingold, uh, got through his primary. It was a real was tight hard. nail biter. Yeah, yeah, a tough choice there. Really uh, grinded in the polls over that one. Uh, but it's important to point out that primary is, or that uh, general is now fully on, and we have uh, a new Marquette poll that came out this week that adds a little bit of insight into that race. The new poll found uh, Russ to be up seven points amongst registered voters and 11 points among likely voters. I'll leave it to you to figure out what the differences between those two. Um, but essentially, this is a slightly larger lead than he had uh, uh, in the previous Marquette poll. Um, and we have talked about this race a lot. We expect it to be very close. Uh, Senator Johnson has a lot of resources and is the incumbent. Um, but certainly, these numbers are good and, and continue to show that uh, Russ is a very strong candidate. Um, and the Marquette poll, the other thing that it's worth pointing out, Hillary Clinton has opened up a 15-point lead on Donald Trump in the state. It's about as large as you could win it's, the state by, uh, I think. Maybe Trump will prove me wrong. It's Herb Cole-like numbers. Yeah, and then the other thing to, about the poll that I thought was interesting is, is that Ron Johnson is apparently unknown to a third of likely voters, <laughs> uh, which tells you how effective... Uh, as Scott Ross likes to call him, our dumb senator has been and introducing himself to the public in six years. Yeah, uh, Trump, by the way, viewed favorably by 27% and unfavorably by 65. I, I, you can't, how do you turn that around? But, but okay, but let's look at those. So if, you're, if your favorables are 2765, <laughs> unfavorable, but yet you still have 30-some percent, 37 percent, no, whatever it was, uh, voting for you. How, like, so I say? really hate my candidate, but I am such a lockstep party diehard that I will vote for that crazy orange maniac. I am so glad you pointed that out, that his God. favorables are lower than his polling numbers, so that... It, Significantly lower than fast. God, the American psyche is fascinating. <laughs> it definitely is. Look, uh, we'll continue to track the Marquette poll and mock people. <laughs> um, but it, it's certainly it's revealing a playing field that I think we're all sort of feeling out there. You know, which is it's a positive playing field, but certainly uh, not a done deal as it relates to our Senate race, and that is going to continue to be a top priority here at Citizen Action. Um, if you are interested in getting involved in helping us do work around both outsourcing trade as an issue and helping uh, Russ Feingold, please get in touch with us. Um, you can contact me at matt.brusky, B-R-U-S-K-Y, at citizenactionwi.org. So I want to talk a little bit about the voter ID stay, Jorna. We Matt. were talking about voter ID. We and were kind of excited. We had, we had Anita on last week. She and was excited. Yes, and then Robert warned us that... Don't get excited. Don't get excited, <laughs> and 
We so did. We, we did, and now, now we're, we're back. So, Jorna, what happened? Yes, what happened? Tell us. <laughs> wah, wah. <laughs> yeah. So, in the never-ending saga of voter ID, um, an appeals court actually blocked the changes uh, that Judge Edelman had put into effect that voters who do not have an ID in November could sign an affidavit. So that that's is, the earlier case. Yes, that, that is the that, earlier case. Not the case. one that just happened. Yeah. That is not any of the early vote, um, residency, right. any of the citizen action case, but the, the one that Lynn Edelman said, hey, it's really hard, Judge Edelman, sorry, um, said it's really hard for a lot of folks to get an ID. So here, under, you know, penalty of the law, you will swear who you are, and we will have this record to make sure that you are who you are. Um, a three-judge panel appeals court was like, ha just kidding. You can't actually do now, that. He said he went too far. He went very much too far. we have to go to back to the U.S. Supreme Court in order to invalidate photo ID, which obviously still needs to happen, and these other cases lead in that direction. So the judge in the Citizen Action and one Wisconsin Institute case um, actually would have potentially invalidated photo ID but said he couldn't because of the Supreme Court. Then he relied upon the Edelman decision, which means that part of his decision is also irrelevant, even though we now, in, of course, they've also appealed that case, so early voting and multiple locations and the residency changes in the, in the, in the good way also could be uh, rolled back, we'll see, before the election. One thing that's worth pointing out is how political all this is, right? I mean, we've got Democratic judge on this side who changes it, the three-judge panel that overturned it this week, all three Republican-appointed judges. It just reveals, again, how important these elections are, how important a presidential election. All three of the judges who overturned the rule this week were appointed by Republican presidents, so uh, very important making that connect. But look, it also reveals just how partisan these these courts are, right? And while certainly they are the third uh, uh, leg on the stool of our democracy, um, they're, they're so directly connected to politics right now. This issue has become so partisan. Uh, it's disappointing because it, it is such a critical uh, issue as it relates to just access to democracy and, and that we don't seem to be able to bridge that um, although, Robert, we've talked in the past about some Republican judges, uh, is it Posner and others, yes. who, have, who have started to move on this, but still seeing this heavily partisanship in the judges on this issue is, is still very disappointing. Yes, and I'm sure all the judges that Trump has promised to appoint uh, when elected, since he's a winner, uh, would all be horrendous on this, and there'd be no, uh, there'd be no uh, kind of doubt about how they would react. So there was a very good article in the Washington Post about all this in Wisconsin that our Anita Johnson, our organizers, work is again, again highlighted in national media, so Brian will provide a link to that. Good article, as Jorna pointed out earlier, bad headline. <laughs> I, I hate the headline. But Robert, go to what the article's actually about. Well, it's about, it's obviously about how photo ID is back in and how many people this could affect, and about Anita's work, uh, getting people their right to vote. Um, actually quotes me saying that there are enough people disenfranchised that it could change the outcome of the presidential race in Wisconsin. Of course, I don't really mean it could be, it could be 15 points, so I just would assume that Trump makes a comeback and this is a battleground state. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, you know, so this is not the first time that Wisconsin has been through this with photo ID right before an election as well. If folks will remember, this happens just about every general election now for us for the past three cycles. But there will come a time in about the next few 
weeks where they will have to say, okay, we got to go with what we got to go with because of election materials being printed and information getting out to poll worker trainings and things like that. So um, we only have, I think, probably maybe three more weeks of this wrangling potentially. Uh, so we to still go have through. the redistricting case will come down, allegedly any week, but it's been any week for right. like four weeks. So, so there's another. You, you can look forward to an end of all of this soon. And, and oh, it'll look, be the, what it is. The, law, the, the lawsuits are never over, Jordan. Yes, but for November it will. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so I want to bring up a sort of a encourage our listeners to become poll workers and why it's yes. so important. We've been talking a ton about voter ID and how confusing this is. Um, Anita talked about it last week. This only, this latest ruling only adds to the confusion, and I'm sure there'll be more confusion coming down the road. We need to have a lot of trained poll workers in the sites this fall, not only in Milwaukee, but throughout the state. And Citizen Action is uh, playing a leading role with a lot of our other partners and a lot of partners uh, around the state in trying to find poll workers. Our cooperative is heavily invested in this, and we want to encourage you. Uh, to get involved in becoming a poll worker. If you could do this on election day, you can go to your clerk's office. It's very easy to, to become a poll worker. You can get paid. But absolutely critical that we have trained poll workers because it'll be the difference in how photo ID is implemented and do the lines move quickly? Are we well staffed? I, I live in Milwaukee on the near south side of Milwaukee and Bayview. It's a very progressive, it's the most progressive district in the state. Um, and on election day, on this primary election day, I still had to argue with the poll worker that my driver's license address did not need to match my voting address, right? So we need folks who are tuned into this. And I don't want to blame these poll workers, but this is going to happen. And on a high turnout election, in November, this is going to be a problem. So we need you. We need you. <laughs> yeah, we know We know that our listeners are pretty sharp and fully engaged, and we think you'd be excellent poll workers. So, so we're providing a link, I hope. Yep, we'll have a, we'll have a link where you can uh, get more information about becoming a poll worker. Um, but I can tell you, if you just reach out to your local municipality, your clerk's office, they can get you the information that you need, and most of them are very solicitous and very much need poll workers and are looking for them right now. So please consider becoming a poll worker. So with that, we got to talk about the week of Trump. I, it's just, it's kind of mind-boggling. Brian, please just, just play, play the clip. Hillary wants to abolish, essentially abolish, the Second Amendment. By the way, and if she gets to pick... If she gets to pick her judges, nothing you can do, folks. Although the Second Amendment people, maybe there is, I don't know. But So, Jorna. <laughs> Matt. Help explain this to me. I'm so confused. Is this a joke? Or is he serious? No. I think Just my kidding. favorite was the tweet from Secret Service that was like, we are aware of this and we are looking into it. That's the Trump campaign insists they've never been spoken to about it, which is hilarious, right? Like you've got the Secret Service saying we've talked to the campaign multiple times about this. They suggested that they've actually talked to the campaign before this incident about this. I, I, look, like we laugh about these things on this podcast, right? But this is serious. Yeah. You can't. You cannot run for president and be like, oh, I was totally just kidding. The people should shoot Hillary Clinton. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, ah. That's You're, not okay. <laughs> what's fascinating about this is, and shows that this isn't a joke. Yeah. 
is you've got the campaign denying that it was a joke, which, by the way, is the most plausible defense that like because Trump does like to joke. Right. So it would have been the most plausible. But to try to suggest that it was a really solid encouraging for them to, you know, grab the arms of democracy and that the the Second Amendment folks are so powerful at like carrying out their democracy that they could overcome this is completely not at all plausible. And so you've got Paul Ryan out there saying it's a joke, oh, it was a bad joke, but you got the campaign insisting, no, it's not a joke, it was a serious policy statement. Inciting the, violence. Yeah, they're not at all on the same page on this, and as How, Jordan said, explain, this is incredibly disturbing. Explain the disturbing. serious policy statement part. What he's was here's what Trump is trying to suggest, Robert. Right, is that somehow he, that Second Amendment advocates are so good at effectively using democracy and the tools of democracy that they might be the one group that could stop Hillary from doing this because so they're they're stopping they, the NRA her with, has been so effective at they're blocking stopping any her kind with, of they're stopping her with ballots, not with bullets. Is that the what? so that is that is the Trump party line, Robert? And okay, uh, Paul Ryan's not buying it. Up, trying to keep up. Okay. Well, you know, some political scientists think that Trump might be a proto-fascist. Maybe unfair to say he's Mussolini, for example, though, you know, don't want to judge for all the facts are in, but at least in the direction of fascism. So this sort of is a hit in that direction. But the main smoking gun for me is uh, if he is at all serious and he's campaigning on it about removing 11 million people from this country and what would that actually mean breaking down doors, mm -hmm. tearing away fathers and mothers from crying children and hurting them all, I don't know, by huge conveyance and transportation and dumping them in the desert. I don't know. I mean, in other words, this would be a great one of the great crimes against humanity. And it's like the uh, uh, Andrew Jackson's Trail of Tears with the Cherokee Indians on a on a on a much larger scale. So that's why it, despite what Fox News wants to say, it is fair to start talking about at least the proto-fascist word. <laughs> can, can we talk about the rest of Trump's brilliance? Speaking, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, a more great greatest hits more of the week. You know, Chris Hayes and his TV Using show. Using words, he has the best words. Chris has a, a a whiteboard where he keeps saying that the ten the ten top things why Trump can't win, like because crazy words. things he said, and he has to change them every day because there are new things to put on the list. You see what I mean? It's not like Romney's forty seven percent where that's what you had, right? No, there's another two or three of these. Uh, it seems daily. Um, so I want to talk about the founder and the co-founder of ISIS. <laughs> yes, that was news to me. I was glad to hear that. Um, well, his middle name is Hussein. I mean, so, the president. So some people might have missed this, that uh, our president, Barack Obama, Barack Hussein Obama, is the founder of ISIS, according to Trump, and it's so sad, but that Crooked Hillary um, is the co-founder of ISIS. I, I I'm just I'm wondering where in their busy schedules of, you know, running America, they had time to go over there and found ISIS. This is brilliant. Yeah, no, that he would launch into this the day after he just, you know, goes through his death threats to Hillary Clinton. That well, he's I'm also getting whipflash. So uh, let's see. Don the Donald was against the Iraq war. I like the the, the, the very like the bland mainstream media coverage, despite much evidence that he was for it. Uh, he was against the, the Iraq war, and so we shouldn't have had the Iraq war, but we should have stayed in Iraq. So I, I, can't, I, I can't keep up with... Now, I, my, the funniest thing of the week might have been they had a foreign policy advisor on national public radio for Trump, 
what a great job. Sort of like I wonder. If, I wonder if they also got to. I wonder if they got to be involved in the educate uh, Sarah Palin oh, with the maps and the, map. and, the, and the chess pieces kind of thing, uh, saying on national radio that the great thing about working with Trump on foreign policy is he's a great listener. And I'm like, I, I don't yes. even think Trump supporters think he's a great listener. So, <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, I had a conversation the other day with um, some f- colleagues of mine. And I said, what happens? You know, what do you really think is going to happen? Because the Republican Party and the establishment of the party is like, oh, my God, this is actually happening. And let's be honest, Trump is not getting out of this. They've already missed some deadlines to get him off the ballot in states like North Carolina and other places. So um, his trolling of America, God, this is going to be great podcast fodder. But it's still really unfortunate because, as we see in Wisconsin polls, too, there are 30 some percent of Americans that. They are going to vote for this brand of crazy fascism and, and I don't even know, just craziness. It's it's definitely surreal. I It's hard to imagine a couple years ago. Uh, but nonetheless, here we are, and uh, we're, we'll continue to watch these polling numbers. I actually think... By the time we speak to you next week, we're, he may he may fall even more nationally. I, they're saying nationally he's at 10 points. We've talked about how useful these national polls are or aren't. But I do think um, this has been an unusually, even for Donald Trump, bad, bad stretch uh, for him. Yes. Well, I, I, I want to avoid two mistakes. Mistake number one is it's so early in the race. It right. is not over. And there are always black swans, unexpected events that change things uh, one way or another. In a way, it's like being up four touchdowns in the, in the first quarter. If the Badgers do that, you kind of wonder, okay, are they going like, to let off on the gas and then the, then the yeah. Golden Gophers will get back in the game. Uh, that's one thing. The second thing is to see Trump as some kind of anomaly. I think Trump is the logical culmination of the conservative movement and counter-establishment that began after Barry Goldwater, and they created an electorate that is open to this. They, their elites can't control it. We didn't really mean it. We were just doing that in order to manipulate the public so we could get power and uh, rig the economy. What? There are people who actually believe this stuff? I mean, that's exactly what's going on here. So it's conservatives' fault, the whole conservative movement, not, not any individual conservative. Yeah, I, I, of course, agree with that, right? Uh, I'm not suggesting it, but Trump is just... I mean, it's unbelievable, right? Like, I mean, what he's doing and saying is 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 hard he's to imagine. Exploiting that is... a, that opinion that a person this irresponsible could get the nomination tells you all you yes. need to know about the social responsibility of the modern conservative movement. Yeah, well, it's uh, we've been talking about it every week, and it gets stranger every week. And we will see you all next week uh, talking more about this. But before that, we need to get our furloughs, Jorna. It's August. It's hot. Mm-hmm. Summer's almost over. It's true. What What are you doing as you start to realize summer's slipping away? And what are you going to do oh, with one hey, of your Debbie few Downer. weekends? Oh, hey Debbie Downer, why don't you just knock that <laughs> it's off? It's been a rough week. Sorry, no. <laughs> um, well, <laughs> so I'm going to kick off my weekend on Friday night by going to the review of the '90s at the Wisconsin State Fair with some friends. It is a uh, Color Me Bad, Salt and Pepper, and <laughs> nice. Rob Bass. Very good. Uh, yeah. Very good. <laughs> It's going to be awesome. Robert, well, what's happening in Bayview? I don't know. I'm, I'm going to disappoint. Oh, 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 here we go. Well, the Inner Harbor will be redeveloped, and it's going to be great. I was got to go on a, I guess my furlough will be yes, uh, Wednesday. I got no, to go on a no, harbor Robert, tour. No. You, 
because my mom had hip replacement surgery last week and has had several complications, and she's now in a rehab hospital, so I'm going to go down and see her. And so that's it, probably not a furlough, but that's what I'm doing over that the is, that is the That is an essential furlough, right? And as people know, Robert, your mom is a, a listener of the podcast, so she we, we hope her get, well. When she gets the podcast emails. So oh, there we go. Oh, well, geez, that's... <laughs> That's disappointing. We gotta we gotta work on those spam filters. Apparently, all right. So uh, this weekend, very much uh, a racing weekend for me. Uh, we'll be up at uh, the Dairyland Amateur, which is in Oshkosh. If people want to come out and watch some uh, dirt track racing, with that, we want to thank Brian Wooldridge, who uh, makes this podcast happen every week and uh, happen basically flawlessly every week. So thank you, Brian, and we'll see you all next week here at the Battleground with Ben. <laughs>